1: It's Film
0: Week on L.A. It's 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Earlier this hour, hopefully you heard our critics' review of The Holdovers, the new film from director Alexander Payne, and you heard their raves as well as my positive view of the film, having just screened it. We're so pleased to have Alexander Payne join us to talk about the film. But first, I want to give you a little taste of the movie, which stars Paul Giamatti as uh, a prep's boarding school teacher, who stays behind he lives on the grounds of the school over the christmas holiday he's left with one student in his care whose whose parents have left him behind at the boarding school but we get a sense of how curmudgeonly a teacher he is in this scene as he's returning the students tests i can tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome I, on the other hand, am not, because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester. And even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand your glazed, uncomprehending expressions. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. No, it's... uh, I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. I'm supposed to go to Cornell. Unlikely. The uh, dialogue from David Hemmingson, the screenwriter. First time he's done a feature film. He's a veteran of TV instead. Paul Giamatti stars. Dave Joy Randolph plays the cook who's left on campus with them. And Dominic Sessa, a young actor who makes his screen debut as well. Alexander Payne, so good to have you with us.
1: Thanks for having me on the show, Larry. As you know, as I've told you, I'm a big fan of yours. I think you're a great treasure in the city of Los Angeles.
0: Thank you, Alex. Alexander, that means a lot. Well, you've made so many great films, Election, Sideways, The Descendants, about Schmidt, Nebraska. And, and this is a terrific film. Uh, among its treasures, the trio's acting performances are simply great. And how did you find the young man who plays the student?
1: I've had this experience before. I remember it from 20 years ago doing Election when you make a high school movie, at least when I do, I want to have the students genuinely feel as though they are high school students. I always, I always notice when they use kids in their 20s, for example, playing high school students. You
0: know, like Rebel Without a Cause where they're yeah, 30-something, you know, a but great film. But you yes.
1: forgive them, but each film has its own aesthetic. And uh, often when you, uh, you audition kids with a lot of experience, you know, young stars, they seem too polished. And then you try to use a non-professional actor or a non-actor, and then you worry whether they have the chops to do the part. So the right actors are out there. It just takes time. And in this case, the casting director, the New York-based casting director, fielded about 800 submissions. Wow. It sounds like a lot, and it is because, you know, you get the traditional submissions from agents, but then anyone who knows about the casting process can put him or herself on tape and press send and... It gets sent to the casting office, and we look at everything. Anyway, uh, I saw about 10% of those 800 submissions. We did not I didn't really find the guy I wanted. And then it was time for us to do something we were going to do anyway, which is call up the schools where I actually was going to be shooting and talk to the drama departments. And there he was at uh, Deerfield Academy. So in the movie, we have an actual senior at Deerfield Academy playing – a junior at Deerfield Academy, and this kid, Dominic Sessa, a star in the drama department, but he had never never been in a film, not even a short film, a student film, never auditioned for a film. He's really a a genuine discovery.
0: Well, and, and the thing that impresses me so much about his performance, Alexander, is you mentioned that sometimes you get these very um, polished young performers, and it doesn't ring true. The other is you get the actor playing the student as sort of so bumbling and clueless that that's not believable either. And what I love about in the performance here of of Dominic Sessa is it feels right. You know, he's, he's got the impulses that you feel of a young guy, especially a guy who's dealing with parents whose minds are elsewhere, not on him. And um, and yet at the same time, he's Bright, he's 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 he has interesting observation and things to say, and it's all believable.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I'll add a quality he had, has, uh, for this film, which uh, makes it true to the 1970 period in which not only the film is set, but as a director, I was trying to pull off the parlor trick of making the film look and sound as though it had been made in 1970. Anyway, the term I want to use is anti-authoritarian. Yeah. He has kind of a natural, kind of resentful, churlish anti-authoritarian streak to him that worked very well. Early Elliot Gould, sort of. And he had the right hair.
0: Yeah, he oh, his hair, the wavy hair. He came in
1: with long hair and that went a long way to my casting him as well.
0: We're talking with Alexander Payne, who is the director of so many acclaimed films, the latest of which is The Holdovers that's just out in theaters, in select theaters and then goes wide uh, in another uh, couple weeks. The Holdovers starring Paul Giamatti, Dave Vinejoy Randolph, and Dominic Sessa. Now Jim Otti, I felt like this character had kind of echoes of his character in Sideways, and uh, and I believe he was a teacher. the The character in Sideways wasn't he?
1: That is true. Yeah, toward the end of Sideways, his you know he's an aspiring writer in that movie, but his day job is uh, I think he teaches at a middle school. Um, yeah, um, I don't know, something, (laughs) (laughs) I, I agree with your observation and I don't know what to say about it.
0: Well, he, he gives another great performance. People have talked about him as potential Oscar nominee for his performance. And what did you talk about with him in terms of who this character is, you know, beyond what he read in the script to help him get a handle on, or, or did you have to say it? Did he instinctively know who
1: this character is? I kind of didn't have to say anything. Both because I trust him as an actor, as an intelligent actor, a brilliant actor, but also he himself is a product of that world. He went to Choate and then to Yale, where his father was both a professor and then president of Yale, Bart Giamatti, a famous personage.
0: Before he went
1: on to head Major League Baseball. Correct. Right, right, right. So uh, Paul read the part and said to me, I know those, I knew those guys, but those guys taught me. I know how to play one of those guys. And the other thing, too, when hiring an actor of Paul Giamatti's talent and stature, it's sort of like hiring Meryl Streep or Laurence Olivier. I'm just curious to see what he's going to do with the part. <laughs> I don't have to tell him anything. I mean, I will if asked, but I want to see what occurs to him.
0: Well, and and this is a character who you you see his... Uh, evolution throughout the film over this two-week period of uh, the year-end break. And the chemistry between your young actor and Giamatti is, you know, your film is going to rise or fall on that. When did you realize you had that?
1: So Dominic Sessa, um, we, meaning the casting director and I, sensed he had a really terrific burgeoning talent inside of him. It took a few auditions to kind of like a horse a wild horse, run him around the track some t- for a few times and let him kind of shake off some of his habits that he thought we wanted to see, like he was being a little bit too performative. Uh, but we all sensed that he was a good actor and a good film actor underneath. And then finally, about six or seven auditions in, I included Paul. And I had shown Paul tape of the kid to get his read, and Paul agreed with the casting director and me. And then the three of us zoomed together, and that's kind of when it all really clicked, that I saw that those two would get along and that Paul would be my partner in leading Dominic to give a relaxed and true performance if he needed it. But you know what? About a weekend, he Dominic didn't need our help. He was like an octopus in his own ink. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did did the, the two of them spend much time when they weren't actually shooting, like building rapport or all, or was somewhat? That not part yeah, of the they method? they
1: did hang out a little bit, and that's another thing that makes Paul Giamatti a fine actor. And this is kind of a hackneyed phrase: a, a generous actor. Oh, so and so, such a generous actor. Well, in Paul Giamatti's case, what that means is he's a really good team player. And I had had that before 20 years ago with Sideways where he and Thomas Hayden Church had not met before, ah. you know, a week or two before we started shooting. But he knew how to sort of intermingle his life force with with Tom Church's and did the same thing with, uh, with Dominic Sessa because he knew— that he was gonna—he's—he's he's there as the lead, as the star, but also as part of a team. He's a great team player.
0: And you—you you pick up that chemistry as a viewer of the film. We're talking about the holdovers in select Theater, starring Paul Giamatti, Dave Joy Randolph, Dominic Sessa, Alexander Payne, the director joining us. We'll be back with more with him on Film Week in just a minute. It's Film Week on LA 89.3 I'm Larry Mantle, joined by director Alexander Payne. We're talking about his new film in theaters now, The Holdovers. It'll go into wider release in just a couple of weeks. Paul Giamatti, Davine Joy Randolph and Dominic Sessa are the stars of the film. It was the runner up for the People's <laughs> Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival uh, and I think you'll see why it's such a crowd pleaser when, when you see The Holdovers. Uh, th- let's talk about Davine Joy Randolph. Uh, very funny in, in Only Murder in the building the the hulu streaming series and she is to me really a center of the film her character is the cook at the boarding school she's lost her son in vietnam her only son and she's she's going through this grieving process we're dealing with all these privileged and and kind of jerky kids share with us um How you determined she was really the right person to play this this character because it's such an important role.
1: I had seen you've seen her in uh, Only Murders in the Building. I had seen her. I've only seen a couple of episodes of that. I saw her in uh, Dolomite Is My Name, a very fine movie by the way, really funny, excellent movie. And uh, she kind of she pretty much steals the scenes she's in with Eddie Murphy which is saying a lot. Yeah, it is. So when it came time to audition, I told the casting director, as you're developing a list of actors for me to meet for this part, please include Divine Joy Randolph. I'd like to meet her and talk to her about that. Because I often, I mean, the the part has some comedy to it in the movie, but has a lot of drama as well. And I've noticed from previous films that I find it handy to cast actors with comic chops in dramatic parts. Because they have a better sense of the rhythm and keep it from being dreary without betraying the emotion, but they still keep a certain lightness of tone about it.
0: And she, and she has that, that real air about her in the film. You see when she's sort of, with the eye rolls and responses she has to some of the absurd or annoying things around her. But it's it's not broad at all. It's in the how the character really would respond to those things.
1: Well, and she's a highly trained actress. She, uh, like Paul Giamatti, she's uh, graduated from Yale with her MFA in acting. She's... Hi, highly trained uh, professional.
0: Yeah, and, and very, very good. What attracted you to the world of prep boarding schools?
1: I saw a movie about a dozen years ago at the Telluride Film Festival, a lesser-known 1935 film by Marcel Pagnol, and uh, I walk It's called Merlusse, like like a fish. Hake is the uh, translation in English, I think. But I walked out of the movie thinking, uh, that's a good idea for a movie. That's a good premise. And that's one that could be not the same story, but the setup is good. And so it was on my list of film plots to get to one day. And I knew it was going to take my happiness go out to New England and visit some boarding schools and soak up the world a little bit. Anyway, then about five years ago, I hadn't done a darn thing with the idea and then out of the blue i received a uh, the submission of a pilot script for a proposed TV series by a guy named David Hemmingson, and it was set at a boarding school, and I thought the writing was very sharp. So I just got in touch with him and said, I've read your pilot. I think it's terrific. Would you consider writing a feature film for me in that same world? And he said yes, and that's how it came about. And
0: did you give him any ideas for what you were looking for in the way of conflict or types of characters? How much direction did you give him?
1: Not a whole lot. I just gave him the basic setup. Uh, a very curmudgeonly teacher, is, with a wonky eye, is select <laughs> is selected this year to take care of boys at a at an, at a boarding school, and eventually has a relationship with one in particular. I didn't know what was going to happen. He came up with the cook character very logically. Well, who cooks? Who's going to cook for these kids yeah. and this teacher? Well, it would be the cook. Well, what's her story? given that we're setting the film in 1970 and what are the political and and cultural, social winds blowing through. And so, well, she would have this going on, which would add some poignancy uh, to the story. And then he presented to me, I don't know, three, four, five different ways in which the story could go. I would say, yes, no, yes, no, more of this, less of that. It was kind of my first experience directing a writer. Really, and it was a rich experience. So the result is that by the time we were done with the script, both of us had something personal. It was personal to the both of us.
0: Well, and and this a tremendous boost for his career. Uh, I mean, he's, he hasn't worked in film before, and to have something uh, that's as accomplished as as this for for the first time. Because it would have been easy for the characters to be stereotypes. And often, when we think of people writing for TV, and I know we're in peak television, all we think of, you know, types. And he was able to transcend that. And um, well, as I was you know.
1: told in my high school journalism class back in Omaha enjoy, um, avoid stereotypes like the plague. <laughs> and, uh, and thankfully,
0: <laughs> thankfully, uh, as ironic as that is, it worked. Uh, we're talking with Alexander Payne, uh, his film *The Holdovers* just out in theaters. It stars Paul Giamatti, Devine Joy Randolph and Dominic Sessa uh, you mentioned about you wanted the film to also look like it had been done in the 70s as well as being set in the 70s and and I was aware of that more on a subliminal basis I think because I'm not as knowledgeable about sort of the vocabulary of a film even though I've seen thousands of movies but I I certainly picked up on things at the opening with you know Miramax and the other you know things that were there What are some examples of some of the techniques you used in the film that harken back to the 70s?
1: Well, the aesthetic I wanted the film to have, I mean, sure, there's the parlor trick of making it look and sound like a 70s movie, affecting a very filmic texture to the image and then mixing it in mono. And those are kind of the obvious things. More important, though, or equally important, is what is being shot, what is the production design? What is the casting? What is um, the costume? And to that degree, I told my collaborators, I said, you know, we're not making a period movie. We're making, we have to pretend that we're in 1970 making a low budget contemporary movie. And the sets and the costumes and everything should be as banal and lived in as if we were just going over to, to finding a location and basically shooting there. I find that very often, not always, but very often contemporary period movies stress the period too much. Uh, the the accoutrements are too glaring. Yeah, I wanted it to be unnoticed in a way. And then the other thing about making a movie from the period, I guess, is this, the rhythm, the sense of the narrative, having a more uh, funky character-based story than a real strictly plot-driven one. Stuff like that. And then yeah. and then music, use of music as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: it worked. And the music was very subtle because, as you said, it can be too busy in the production design when you're doing a, a period film. You use the music to subtle effect. It wasn't a constant soundtrack of music of that era as well. Alexandra, thank you for joining us. Uh, terrific looking film, as well as just a sheer pleasure. You know, there aren't that many films that are just Really, really fun to spend time with the characters and and that to me was the holdovers. It was really fun to hang out with the characters even as they were in conflict. Thank you so
1: much. Larry, it means a lot coming from you. I, I... We'll end by repeating that I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm happy to be here in the studio with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you very much. Alexander Payne joining us. The screenwriter, David Hemmingson. The film, The Holdovers. Paul Giamatti. Daveine Joy Randolph. Dominic Sessa. From all of us at Film Week, have a wonderful weekend.